Hey. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Faye from Face World Media. And today I have a very special guest from Podia, whose name is Len Marketin, who's on the screen with me. And <laughs> I discovered Len, well, because I watched an incredible, I almost want a documentary series, but it's really a YouTube short series they have on Podia to talk about like fear of content creation. And uh, basically Len was working actively with, with a entrepreneur and content creator um, throughout like I think four or five episodes. Um, and that was so, that was so intimate. That was super helpful. And this is something, you know, after that I've been working as a creative entrepreneur for a little while, just to um, see that, wow, we actually share a lot of the anxiety, fear, doubts, and, um, and, and all those ideas. So I'm here with Len, who's an instructor, an entrepreneur too, and to talk to us how to create our digital storefront and how to, you know, really build multiple revenues of um, incomes, income streams as a creator. So welcome, Len. That was a longer introduction. Thank you so much, Faye. I appreciate that. I'm I'm really really excited to be here, and and I'm honored that you got some so much out of our our series with Walter for somebody who's already an accomplished content creator. So that's that's really great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you, Len. And it really means a lot because, trust me, I've gone through, I've gone down the path of trying to find the perfect digital course platform or product platform for an independent content creator and. That journey was just so long and difficult. And um, and then the next thing you know, all of a sudden you're spending money on email marketing, you know, building landing pages, uh, lead gen forms. I think a lot of my audience who are or will be watching this are in, you know, very familiar with the budget concerns. And yet Podia, um, which is, you know, your CMO at Podia, and it's the ultimate platform. Frankly, I, I can, you know, this is not even sp sponsor content. Um, that I found, I'm thrilled. I love the content. I love the creator, the video content creator on your end. He's so, I forgot his name, but he's so easy to listen to. And Ben, so, ben is wonderful. Oh my gosh. So welcoming and just makes, makes you feel at ease. It, it's very much the opposite of do this, follow the funnel and make money, triple, you know, <laughs> triple your income was just like, I understand your fear and let's do this together. And and you gave me the same um, impression really during your YouTube series too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like people prefer not to be yelled at. And yet here we are where 90% of the content uh, around creating online courses is somebody yelling at you to, to hustle more. <laughs> that, that's a great, that's a great description. Um, and um Isalyn, I want to kind of get into your origin story a little bit because your first job clearly, you know, wasn't at Podia. Um, you are currently the CMO, which for Podia, the platform for people who are not as familiar, it is a platform for creators to sell online courses, downloads, coaching, and community all in one. One of my favorite features is also the built-in email marketing. And, and speaking of community, there's a brand new feature I discovered, which means you can bring your students um, together and your members together and to ask questions, to share new ideas, even new features. But previously, Len, you're the head of market, you were uh, head of marketing for five years at Groove. Uh, your work has been featured in Forbes and Entrepreneur. Uh, you've consulted for clients like Prudential, Check, Jet.com, Groupon, Headline. Line. So could you maybe speak to your experience a bit and what gets you excited about maybe working at Podia and in particular helping uh, content creators to, to build their digital storefront? 
Yeah, of course. I've, I've been working in online marketing for about 15 years now, and it was first by virtue of just being the youngest person in the room at an agency. And they said, oh, let, just let him do all the online stuff, because back then it wasn't it was it wasn't that cool to be working in online marketing. Uh, but I learned a lot through doing that. And as you mentioned, had a couple of tech jobs and did, did consulting for quite some time. And then for five years, ran marketing at a company called Groove, which sold help desk software. Uh, I was actually a customer of Podia's before I joined the team. So I joined in December 2017, and we were selling an online course about content marketing. And uh, I was looking for a place to host my course, and I looked at everything that was out there, and I eventually stumbled on Podia, which was actually had a different name at the time. And I tried out the platform, put my course up on it, and thought, like, there's no way I'm touching anything else. Like, this is it. This is, this is the one. They figured something out here. And over the next six, eight months, I, uh, I got to know Spencer, the founder, really, really well. And uh, after that, he, uh, you know, I hadn't been planning on, on going anywhere else or doing, you know, doing, uh, taking another in-house role. But uh, Spencer asked if I wanted to come and build a marketing team here. And it was just such an exciting opportunity that I, I couldn't say no. And that's you know, part of what gets me excited is the fact that at Podia, every single day, there's somebody that is making their first online dollar ever because mm. of the work that we're doing. And I think that's a really, really special and privileged place to be. Wow. So you mentioned, you know, back in 2017, something about the platform even back then uh, that really was very compelling to you. And I think at this point, you know, people who are watching this may have already developed their first course or uh, maybe they're just many of them are thinking about starting their, you know, very first course or still in ideation phase, but something captured your eyes perhaps could you talk to us about what you loved about podia at first sight what would you know what about it that really drove you in i think that what was really clear even in the very early days the product looks very looked very little like it looks today but what was really clear in the early days was just that it was extremely focused on making things easy and fun for creators uh, a lot of the platforms that I looked at weren't really sure if they were focusing on creators or were they focusing on businesses trying to do training or were they focusing on trying to you know, replace university classes. And they just kind of looked very corporate and, and sterile and boring. And not only that, they were optimized for all of those different things. And so they came with all these different features that I never needed. And mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the products were just so bloated and so pricey that it wasn't, it wasn't really going to work for what I needed. Mm -hmm. And Podia was just very clear that they had one audience in mind, and that was creators. Uh, mm -hmm. Creators like me, of course, you know, pe people that, that wanted to sell digital products to their audience. Uh, mm -hmm. And everything at that point was, was built to that. And I think everything since that point has been built to, for that audience and, and for that use case in mind. Um, mm -hmm. Although, obviously, the product looks very, very different now than it did four years ago. Yeah. So let's better, maybe let's define creators a bit. And I, I, it's very clear in my mind, or perhaps the way I would define creators would be podcasters, YouTubers, photographers, uh, freelancers in the, in the creative world, artists, musicians, um, you know, also, but these days I expand that category to there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are authors, you know, publish one or multiple books, who are speakers, keynote speakers, um, do you think that represents the, the creator space well, or maybe you, you want to add to that list? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great foundation. I, I really think that anybody that's earning money online from their, uh, from their passion or their expertise is, is a creator to me. Um, mm -hmm. So that's everybody from the artists and the podcasters and the YouTubers to 
the grandmother that's teaching the knitting course or uh, the, uh, you know, the financial analyst who's building a community that, around people who are excited about spreadsheets, which is a real thing that we have in our, on, on Podia. Uh, mm -hmm. So anybody who is taking something they're really excited about or they're really knowledgeable about and putting it out into the world, uh, I think is a creator. Mm, lovely. And let's talk about your first course, which I, I didn't even ask before scheduling this interview. And the reason is so many people struggle with their first anything, right? The, their first book, they feel like they have to be the book that they will be proud of and has to last for a long time. And um, it has to be the best work they've ever done. I think that actually has shown to be a, a, a much of a roadblocker for us as creators. And um, after developing multiple courses, I, I really wish I didn't give myself such a hard time at the very beginning. Um, there's just no way for me to learn without doing and failing and making mistakes. So I would love to hear about your first course creation journey what what was the course about did it was it a success was it a failure in your eyes so the first course i ever set out to make was about email marketing and the journey that i took to uh to, to create this course was i thought people keep asking about me about email marketing i should build a course on this mm -hmm. this was in 2000 maybe 14 or so I opened up a Word document because Google Docs weren't cool yet. And I proceeded to basically write everything that I thought I knew about email marketing into this document. <laughs> two, yeah. two days later, I think I had around 22,000 words in there. And I skimmed it. And I closed that document. And I never opened it again. Mm -hmm. uh, that course has not seen the light of day clearly, uh, because I went about it totally the wrong way, right? I went, I, I went around, I went about this course, uh, from the perspective of what's in my brain, how do I get it out into the world? Right. When the reality was, and as I learned through trial and error many, many times when my first, uh, you know, the, the story of my first successful course was a content marketing course. It was called content marketing mastery. And the way that that course was born was from the needs of the market. It was not me taking something in my head and putting it out into the world. It was me understanding and me, me learning that there were some really specific problems that people wanted me to solve. Mm -hmm. And they don't need to know everything that I know. Right? Mm -hmm. They don't need everything in my brain. And in fact, they don't want to know everything that I know. They really just want to know everything they need to know to solve a really, really specific problem. And so that became content marketing mastery, um, how to build, uh, how to build a repeatable content machine in six weeks. And that was, that was the first course that, uh, that I ever, uh, that I ever sold that had, you know, what I would call a really successful launch, um, which was, you know, th this was something that I did in partnership with Groove, our company, and we had a six figure launch in the first three days. And, um, you know, I know there are probably many people listening who, uh, have had far more successful launches since then. Uh, but this was kind of early in the online course days and, uh, it was, it was a huge, huge, huge accomplishment and a huge learning experience for us at the time. Mm. There's so many things. There are a couple of things that I definitely want to break down, um, which is what you mentioned of what was in your head. All of it wasn't necessarily what the market wanted. And I love this scenario because I'm currently working with several clients and many of my clients actually have courses uh, online as a result of our uh, collaboration together, um, consulting arrangement, let's just say. But I also notice the the pitfall or the, the, the easiest mistake to make, and which is not intentional, was that all my clients do want to dump their brain onto a piece of paper in a course, a course you know, in the course creation world, when we say entry course, it's, you know, five to 10 videos, pretty easy to digest versus, and they knew that, but many of them ended up creating these heavy duty, um, you know, signature courses with dozens of 
chapters and sections and multiple lessons. And then you watch kind of the, the, the growth or how students who interact with these courses, they're often overwhelmed. So could you maybe break that down a little bit more on how you found out what the market needed at the time for content creation and how to really hone in on that? Yeah, I think that's a really, really strong point. And, and the, what, the process that we used was, and this is something that anybody can reproduce now. This is, this is still widely available to everybody. Uh, I'll start with the foundational principle that every single person listening to this is an expert. Mm -hmm. Every single person is an expert on something. You may not think you're an expert on something, but you are. You're an expert in something. Everybody is an expert in something, right? Think about, we, we all have that friend that we go to when we have a question about something specific, whether it's gardening or travel planning mm -hmm. or, or business or marketing um, or that coworker that we go to. Um, you are that for somebody else, right? There, everybody mm -hmm. is that that go-to person for something. Um, most people just don't think of themselves as experts. Most people don't think of themselves that way. Mm -hmm. But the reality is if there's anything that you know how to do, that you have spent time and learned how to do, you know more about that thing than probably 99% of people. And there are other people who want to learn, who want to learn how to do that thing too. Mm -hmm. So I would say you have to start with the knowledge that you are an expert in something. Mm -hmm. Then once you have that kind of foundational idea of, okay, I have a topic, like a broad topic, say cooking or painting, Mm -hmm. then you can narrow down and really understand what the market needs. And there's a really easy hack for doing this that it, it, it'll, it'll take you some time because you, you need to spend the time to learn the market, but it's really mm -hmm. simple and it doesn't cost you a dime. Mm -hmm. You can go, go to Reddit. And so Reddit is an amazing social experiment to start, but it's also, uh, I think, they, I think that as of last count, they had something like 600 million registered users, monthly active users on Reddit. Mm -hmm. which is yeah that is a really significant percentage of all of the people on the planet mm -hmm. right and so it, if there's a conversation if there's something that people struggle with there's mm -hmm. a chance there's probably a discussion about it on reddit so i would go to reddit and i would find the subreddits that are related to the topic that you're thinking about teaching so let's say cooking so if i go to reddit and i type in cooking into the search bar i'll probably find all these communities about cooking there's dozens of them and then I would click into those communities and I would use the search bar and I would type in, in quotes, mm -hmm. phrases like, how do I, how do you, mm -hmm. struggling with, anything that would indicate that somebody is trying to work through a problem they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And I would just see what comes up. What are the discussions that people are having? What are the things that have a lot of upvotes, a lot of traction, a lot of discussion? Um, what are the really, really lively uh, topics? Those are, would be my first leads for what I could create courses about. Mm -hmm. um, I would take all of those ideas, I would dump them on a list, and then I would start thinking about, okay, here are all these things. Let's say I did research on cooking, and I found all of these questions that people are debating um, on, uh, on, YouTube, uh, on, on Reddit. They're debating um, what's the best way to make salad dressing, what's the best way to... Uh, prep a steak, what's the best, what are the best, you know, what are the kitchen tools that you need? And then I would look at this list and I would think for every single, you know, I would, I would think about a matrix, right? You have, you have two, two axes on a matrix. One would be profit potential mm -hmm. and one would be passion. Mm -hmm. And then you would take, so think about that as a, as, as a matrix and then plot every idea based on the profit potential for that idea, 
mm-hmm. and based on your personal passion about the idea. And I'll explain what I mean by those. So for passion, creating a digital product business is a lot like creating any other business. Uh, there are going to be highs and there are going to be lows. Mm-hmm. And if you're passionate about what you're teaching, if you think that what you're building needs to be out into the world, it's going to be a lot easier to get through the low parts, right? So that's why we think about like, let's make sure that we're, we actually care about the things that we're teaching. And then on the profit potential side, the way that I would think about that is, are, what are people actively doing to already solve, to, to try to solve the problem that you would be solving for them? Mm-hmm. So is it something like, cooking eggs where people probably are not spending a lot of money to figure that out, right? Maybe they're, they're looking for free recipes online. Um, so maybe you found some Reddit threads about that, um, but it probably doesn't have a lot of profit potential. You're probably not going to earn a lot of money with courses on cooking eggs, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe you have some ideas like that, that you've discovered from your search that are, that, that are something like, how do I meal prep for the week? How mm-hmm. do I feed, uh, how do I feed, my child, how do I feed a toddler without feeling guilty that, you know, I can't get them to eat kale? How mm-hmm. do I, uh, you know, how do, how do I impress a date with, uh, with cooking? These are ideas that people might be actually spending a lot of money to figure out how to solve, right? Because if you think about what the alternative would be to impress a date, the alternative would probably be spending hundreds, you know, a hundred bucks at a restaurant um, or the alternative to uh, the way that people are probably solving the meal prep problem might be, hey, they're paying, 30 bucks or 40 bucks a week for blue apron um or they might be you know they they might be they might be paying a lot of money for some other solution Mm -hmm. whereas you could come in and teach them and solve this problem for them um and still earn money because they're paying money this is clearly a problem they're willing to pay money to solve um so i would follow that process and you'll probably end up with at least a handful of ideas that you can turn that you could then turn around Mm -hmm. and build a profitable course around that's a, such a great idea. I mean, I've tried Reddit, subreddit in particular, it gets really niche. Um, even searching for, I mean, I, I'm not sure if LinkedIn's the best place, but even I found that there are a lot of Q&As, a lot of polls, um, information. I look at Google Trends. Um, and also, I think it's answerthepublic.com. It's another mm-hmm. really interesting resource. Um, but Len, through your experience, like one of the most commonly asked questions from my clients and people I know, creative colleagues, is how do you how do you actually know if an idea is worth the money? Like when you mentioned that, yeah, if you want to impress dates, you know, do you go through Blue Apron or do you go out to a fancy restaurant? Um, I guess is how do we val how do we know the value of the course? How much people are actually willing to pay? And this maybe is a related question to pricing, which is. I hear is like, I have no feeling for pricing. I'm completely stuck. I don't know what the number should be. That's a great question. And it's something that course creators and digital product creators always struggle with. And to be, you know, I think to be fair, there's no really easy answer, Mm -hmm. but there is a simple answer, right? And the simple answer is to figure, is to try to figure out and get as close to the value of solving this problem for somebody. Mm -hmm. And I will say as a hint, the value of solving most problems is higher than you think. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think about, like, I, I think one of the first things that people think about when they do market research for pricing, they look in the completely wrong place because they look directly at their competitors. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think looking at the competition first is totally wrong because the competition is never gonna pay you anything for your product. For all you know, your competition doesn't know any more about the market than you do. Right? They might also just be looking at the other competitors and seeing what they're doing. So um, I would not look at the competition. I would look at what people are actually spending 
to solve this problem. And that usually, I think the reason that we don't look at the competition is that usually what people are spending on is not another course or another uh, community or, or another digital product. Usually what you're solving, people are probably spending on books, coaches, uh, on, on um, training, on uh, software or services or physical mm -hmm. tools or, um, you know, th those, are, those are the kinds of things that could indicate um, the, what, basically what the value to them of solving this problem would be. And that doesn't mean that the value, like let's say you find a problem like um, meal planning and you find out that a book costs, uh, you know, $12. That doesn't mean that you should price your course at $12. You should probably never price a course at $12. Uh, what, that, what that means is you have discovered one of the ways that people try to solve that. And chances are that way has failed for people, right? Mm -hmm. And chances are that is one in a long line of things that people have tried, that somebody has tried to, uh, to solve this problem. Which means, so, so when you think about the value of solving a problem, don't think about the last thing that they bought to solve that problem. Think about cumulatively how much time and energy and, and stress they've spent to solve this problem over mm -hmm. the course of years. And think about pricing your course that way. And the way that you get the answer to that question is you actually just talk to people. Like you talk to the people who are having these problems. And one of the great ways to do that is just go into these Reddit discussions and, and start sending direct messages to people. You'd be shocked at how many people respond and are willing to have open conversations about this. But you can ask them questions like, tell me, just tell me how you're thinking about this problem. What have you tried to solve this problem? And how did that work for you? Um, if you could wave a magic wand and just change anything about your interaction with this problem, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And that's going to start to give you those, those open-ended questions that, that's going to start to give you some real perspective and some real insight into just how deep this thorn is in people's side and just how much they want to solve this problem once and for all. And once you have that, I think you can start to work backwards from on, on pricing. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say the only kind of, the only real numbers tip that I would give on pricing is uh, to start with a price that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, like you're probably charging a little bit too much, um, mm -hmm. because that means you're probably approaching a price uh, you're, that's, that might be a decent, decent starting price. Oh, I love this so much because I want to... <laughs> I want to like use myself as a guinea pig because we run into these scenarios and we feel kind of alone. Like, oh, my business is so weird and like this, this thing I want to create maybe won't work. Um, we have a lot of doubts. Um, we, we do have a couple of questions come in and I'm going to get to you for sure. Um, but I, I think I have a pretty good scenario. So what happened, Len, is in 2020, I created a YouTube channel, just not out of the blue, but I was trying to help my fitness instructors and friends trying to bring their businesses online because I knew that they didn't really have the experience like I did as a creative entrepreneur since, you know, 2015 and a bunch of side projects before then. And I was very comfortable. Uh, and so what I did was I taught them how to use Zoom, but very specifically how to work around the very challenging part of Zoom, like audio, video, like the things that didn't even work for fitness or were creator, fitness instructors and creators. Uh, and then over time, when now when people search for a Zoom, especially like Zoom webinar for bigger corporations, all of a sudden my videos just surface to the top. As a result, I create a lot of adjacent like related videos. And um, with full transparency, it is also on my website. I'm charging now, you know, $300 for consulting and people are booking them. There are a lot of company executives, leaders. I get booked for moderation. So 
well on Podia and then most recent endeavors in terms of creating a course, I'm actually hosting a training right after this, is on how to set up Zoom webinar and be like a pro at Zoom webinar. And the other kind of unexpectedly is virtual meeting moderation, which I get hired to do regularly. So, um, and then I got stuck. Like, so in terms of pricing, Sometimes, you know, like even the hourly M300, I'm very hesitant to say who will buy a course for 300, but I'm teaching them everything companies can like buy multiple licenses and give it to their moderators and, and trainers. Could you help me maybe think through a little bit with clear head? Because I feel like I'm living inside my head for quite a while now. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that example. I mean, I would say if you think about, for example, the Zoom, the Zoom example, right? So we're in a world where everything's on Zoom now, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in these last 18 months. And it looks like for many companies, that's just going to be the status quo move. Like that's going to be permanent. Like it's not, people are staying remote. Companies are not, you know, many companies are choosing not to go back to the office. And so Zoom is going to be a mainstay for a very long time, which means mm -hmm. people want to adapt, right? And if you think about mm -hmm. what the quote unquote competition for this is, right? So mm -hmm. it's not that, there's some other Zoom consultants that you're competing against. But mm -hmm. if you think about what people used to do when they ran webinars back in the office, um, you know, back when I worked in an office that actually had webinars, we actually built a studio mm -hmm. in our office. And we spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on lighting, green screen, camera equipment, like making sure that everything was connected with, with the computer and that we could, you know, we had this like switch box and it was a bunch of complicated stuff that I didn't even know how to use. And yeah. it was, it was a really expensive setup to essentially be able to just run webinars, right? This really seemingly simple thing, which as you know, actually has a lot of like art and nuance and technology and, and, and importance behind it. Right. Well, well now that's basically what you're competing against, right? That's basically mm -hmm. like, are people going to go and spend a whole bunch of money trying to DIY their, you know, their Zoom, their Zoom setup, whether that's the decor in their room or whether that's the, the, you know, the other thing that I think a lot of people would do before was go and do, go and pay thousands of dollars for speaker training, yeah. right? And go, go in a room with a bunch of people and, and try and get better at speaking. And that's something that I did many years ago. Um, and I remember it was not cheap. And I remember that there were a lot of other people there that had their companies paying for it too. And these don't tend to be very, very price sensitive buyers because they just want this result. True. And now that people are at home, they still need to do webinars. They still need to do, um, they still need like great setups. They need great strategy. They need better speaking ability, mm -hmm. but they can't really do all those things they used to do um, or they could, but it would come with great kind of work it would come with great expense it would come with a bunch of hassle because traveling now isn't you know it's, it's very it's a lot more difficult than it used to be um and so when you think about the price of that when you think about the fact that people pay thousands of dollars um to uh, to solve these problems that you can solve for them i think that could help maybe open up the perspective around what yeah. what some what, what you're offering might be worth and then you think about that across you know 80 managers at a company and yeah. and, the, and the impact it could have um i mean that's that's really really valuable stuff yeah. Oh, this is so good to hear. And I want to add to that also a little bit more is exactly like you said, is sometimes we're sitting here thinking, oh, I've done this for a year now. I'm comfortable. I've been a podcaster for seven years. These are just trivial things. But then I had to put things on paper, creating these Google slides. And all of a sudden, 
what's in my mind in terms of five slides now becomes 35. And I'm talking about things that are very intricate, things I've learned along the way, including examples such as, you know, a lot of these very, I would say, like, high-end events have these very tier one influencers, I often have to follow some sort of a script, which I kind of don't, it's not my favorite thing to follow a script. I, I love, you know, I send some questions over to you, but I basically don't need them because I love the natural flow of our conversation, but I don't always get to do that. For me, for instance, for a lot of moderators, it gets more challenging when you have to follow a script that's been signed off, that's been approved. And um, so for me, like I build in moderation trainings to help them how to make you know, transitions sound more natural, uh, how to smile a little bit more, like you're more engaged, but also like things that sound so silly. Like I would say, don't, you know, when you're moderating a for a meeting, for instance, like things like don't use mugs like this because it literally can pour all over your keyboard, <laughs> you know, clean your background, have the Elgato lights, how to adjust the lights, how to, and it just all of a sudden things in and outside of Zoom just become quite intricate. And, um, and, and I also, I got the survey results, like mostly tens, people are really thrilled how it went. So I think all that is something I want to really incorporate into uh, my online courses. And, and I don't know like how successful I will be at conveying them, which is why I love one of the features from within Podia is within each section, as you're building out the course, you have the option to give people consulting options and, you know, plug right in. Calendly were QED scheduling and people say, you know what? Section one was great, but I want to talk to Faye now, or I want to talk to Diana now. You click one button push, all of a sudden there are additional income from consulting directly through you. I love that. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm really, really excited that we were able to uh, to add that. And, and like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic way to continue getting feedback because the people that end up being most successful as creators are the people that keep eliciting feedback and are the people that keep learning from their customers. Um, and I think the consulting piece is really, really interesting because you get two for one. You get to get feedback from your customers and get paid for it at the same time. Yeah. I know it's it's really exciting. I, there's so much to explore, and I want to get to uh, one question here um, from Africa. I love when we connect with people from all around the world. But um, I think a lot of the creators are thinking, "Oh, I want to create this course. I really don't want it to become obsolete like six months, a year from now." And I feel that pain. So, is it possible to make the content evergreen, and so that in 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 a year's time, it will be still be of value? That's a great question. Um, I, I'll answer that by saying that the highest, uh, I don't remember if it's the first or second highest uh, revenue course on Podia this year was released in 2015. Mm. Um, it, it was released on a different platform in 2015, Podia didn't exist then, but it came into Podia in 2018. But the course is essentially the same as it was in 2015. Uh, and it still remains the highest, uh, the high, one of the highest grossing courses uh, on the internet. And mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's, so I, I would say absolutely you can make content evergreen. I think depending on what you're teaching, right? I think there, there are some topics that are a little bit more, um, you know, uh, probably a little bit more uh, timely. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, if you're teaching marketing strategies or if you're teaching Zoom strategies, I mean, these things, like they're going to be relevant in three years and in five years, you may have to go back and update them because the products you're teaching are going to update and, you know, things, things are going to, things are going to change a little bit, but I mean, a lot of the core principles will likely remain the same and it's absolutely going to still have value for people in years time. Mm, that's so good to hear. I mean, same thing uh, on YouTube, some of the videos I've released, you know, back in early 2020 are still the best performing videos today. So that that is real. I think courses even more so that goes against the common belief that, you know, when it comes to social media content, everything will become obsolete, you know, within, I don't know, like 
tomorrow or something. So people are really afraid to create content. Um, so that's a that's definitely a great um, data right there. So I have a uh, I have a question related to you know people like me creators who don't like to focus on one thing niche down so much. So right now I have a kind of a variety of courses on Podia and frankly elsewhere. I'm working very hard at migrating over to Podia. So um, the Zoom courses are upcoming uh, in production and I you know I've been on YouTube so people ask me about um, how, what can I create for YouTubers to monetize and even start thinking about monetization before this YouTube partnership program, which means before you get a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. Um, and so I have that course, but then I, frankly, I look at other courses I've created on other platforms like Thinkific and member vault and it's related to podcasting, for instance, mm-hmm. which in my world, I feel like it's all related for creators, but you could also come from another angle to say, Oh my God, phase all over the place. Like, does it make sense for me to merge all the courses on Podia? Or do you think I should really separate the audience so that they're not overwhelmed? It's a good question. And I think that one of the things that creators really struggle to, I don't know if accept is the right word, but I think that one of the, one of the things that creators really struggle to embrace is that very often a huge part of the value of purchasing your course in the customer's eyes mm-hmm. is the fact that they're purchasing it from you. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's the fact that they get access to you, either it's either because the course includes access to you or because they're getting kind of pre-recorded access to a content, piece of content that you've put mm-hmm. out. Um, that's really important to understand because it may, it, it, I, I think if you think about that, it makes, it makes you realize that like, it's actually, it's not that important to have all of these different brands all over the place and like different, you know, different mini brands for different products and different audiences and things like that. A lot of people like just want access to Faye, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people just want to support Faye as a creator. A lot of people just want to learn from Faye. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about some exa- some classic examples of some of the, um, you know, I think some of the, the really, really well-known course creators, if you think about people like Amy Porterfield or Ramit Sethi mm. or, um, mm. you know, or, or, or Marie Forleo, like they have courses on many, many different topics True. and yeah. people still buy them all, right? Because people want to learn from that person because it's not that that person has shown them that they have this narrow expertise in mm-hmm. something, especially after the first course. That mm-hmm. person has shown them that they can teach the student how to learn something. Like they can teach the student something effectively. Um, and so I think actually having having all of your courses in one place, I think there are a lot of benefits both to you and to your students, right? With your mm-hmm. students getting one login for everything rather than having three logins for different pieces of content they buy from you. Um, mm-hmm. I think many creators get surprised uh, when they see how much their students are actually interested in content about that is totally different from the topic that they originally purchased their first product on. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I have to highlight for clients when it comes to even building a website, you know, there's so many content creators who don't have an about page or don't even show their faces. As simple as uploading an image, I'm here to say that you have to include an image of yourself, a, a profile image, a portrait, even if you're not in love with it, even if it's like a year or two old. Um, but I even encourage people to share videos that that instant connection with a creator is, is that something that you know money can buy, and it, it's hard to communicate what that is. And I think um, it's very true. Like if you are relatable, if you are providing value, you'll be surprised that you don't have to be at like a household name for other people to develop that trust in you. Um, so 
with that said, I, I think we I want to address another question that, that came in. And I'm going to kind of maybe rephrase this a little bit and to make it, I, I think I understand what you mean by this. What are the relevant metrics for tracking return on investment ROI on social media? And I want to say to relate to courses, it's true. Many of us don't. I mean, I have an email list of maybe over 2,000 people, whereas a lot of people I respect, admire, have 50,000 followers, 100,000 followers, like everywhere email list. So whenever, whatever they release, even with a 1%, half a percent conversion, we're talking about significant revenue. Remy Sadie is definitely one of them. But when we have a smaller email list or no list, sometimes we have to rely on our social media. Some of that is our personal social media with family and friends, some very small communities of like 100 person, 50 person groups. So I hope I'm, you know, acknowledging this correctly, but uh, I guess, Len, this is kind of an overall marketing question on should we market our courses on on social media, other platforms, and how do we do so correctly? How do we measure that it's actually worth the effort? Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. Um, I would say every, I mean, every channel can be effective. Every channel can be useful for creators. Ultimately, there's a kind of a saying in in copywriting um, mm-hmm. that the money the money's in the list, and mm-hmm. the what that what that essentially means is like there's no marketing asset you can have long term that's more valuable than your email list. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't use social media. You should absolutely use social media because a lot of times that's where the buyers are, um, and you should be talking, you you should be spreading, spreading your message on social media. You should be sharing wisdom and adding value on social media. You should be engaging with people on social media. Um, Especially, you know, as you, we kind of talked before about having conversations with your buyers, having conversations with um, people in your market. Mm -hmm. I I would be having conversations about, Hey, where are you spending your time online? What are the platforms that you really like? What topics do you follow? Who are the people that you follow? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to give you some focus on, on where to spend your time on social media. Um, Otherwise I think it's really easy to get uh, really kind of into into this space where you're just posting to every single platform and every single community that you can find um, and not really having the focus to be able to create native content for every for every network that, that's important to you. Mm. But the, as far as return on investment on social media, I think there are two ways to think about that. Right? One would be how many course customers or, or community sub, sub, subscribers or you know wh- whatever you're selling, how many sales am I making every mm. time that I post to social media? Um, I actually don't, I'm not a huge fan of that approach because mm-hmm. to be honest, like conversion rates on social media are far worse. And in general, yeah. a social media subscriber is not going to be nearly as valuable as an email subscriber. And so I would rather, rather than try and do all of my selling on social media and focus entirely on selling, I would focus as much as possible on bringing your social media audience into your email list. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the real value lies because what happens when you bring somebody when you get an email address from when you turn a Twitter follower mm-hmm. into an email address, you no longer have a relationship with this possibly anonymous person that Twitter owns the relationship with. And, right. and you're essentially, you're essentially renting this relationship from Twitter. Now mm-hmm. you own the relationship with this person. You can email them. You can continue to earn their trust and their respect and their mm-hmm. admiration. And you can continue to sell to that person over and over and over again. And you know that if you continue adding value, every time you send an email, that person is going to open it and you're going to see it versus social media where that is absolutely not the case. And you are hundred percent at the mercy of whatever algorithm changes uh, the platform wants to make. And so 
I would say um, rather than necessarily tracking the sales that you're making on social media, um, mm -hmm. think about how you can deliver so much value on social media that people are excited to sign up for your email list mm -hmm. and think about and, and then see how many people are signing up for your email list um, from social media. And the really easy way to do that, I mean, obviously you can get really technical with analytics, but the really easy way to do this, and I love this, this move, is when somebody signs up from your email list, send an automated email that just says, hey, I'm Len, thank you so much for subscribing. I'm really excited to share more information with you. Um, just a quick question, would love to know, um, how'd you hear about this? And um, what can, and what's the number one thing I can help you with? Yeah. And what you're gonna realize is that in general, we see response rates to this email of 20 to 40% sometimes and up, mm -hmm. which is, which is, which is nuts. Um, and you're going to get incredible feedback, both on what's working to grow your email list and on what people actually want to buy from you. Oh, I love it. That formula works. And I've tried that with several clients is getting to know you getting to know the subscriber, what can I do to help you people always respond from all over the world. And it's magical. And for us to continue that conversation, even if you're busy, and just kind of continue a thread, it doesn't have to be a perfectly crafted emails, people have that sense of personal connection and, and significantly increase trust towards whatever you're doing selling. Um, so I've taken up quite a bit of lens time and I do have an area I want to make sure that we dive in a little bit before we wrap, which is related to lead gen or lead magnets uh, for people who are not as familiar with these terms are things you can potentially give away that are not overly sophisticated. It could be, um, it could be a questionnaire, it could be a checklist, it could be a one pager document, it could be a video. So Len, one thing I'm kind of really proud of to like experiment and talk about lately is that I developed a course called, um, it's really a toolkit with a lot of documents and templates called the YouTuber kit. And um, the issue I had with that is like marketing it to a, a big variety of people was pretty challenging. And I realized my my guesses on what would really pull people in was kind of uh, off target. It was I was kind of I was incorrect. I was a little bit off. And what I did was I look at the toolkit and there are 30 documents. I start pulling in five of them. I feel like I started to see the market react to, um, you know, one of them, it's like a 12 week a momentum tracker for your YouTube journey. And the other is like video repurposing guy for social media. So I pull those out and I build them up as legions, uh, some free documents, some just cost $10 as opposed to $200 from within Podia. And in Podia, under pricing option, I seem to know the platform really well. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's an upsell option. So which means now I give things away for free and I sell them at a lower price point and I get to see when, the moment they check out uh, what are the willingness of these potential buyers to also, you know, buy a more expensive product. Like, what are your thoughts on that overall? Yeah, I think the more you can get people to pull out a credit card and pay you any amount of money for something, um, mm -hmm. the more you're going to learn about your business. Right. I'm a big fan of free lead magnets just for growing email lists, but I am a huge fan of upselling to paid lead magnets. Um, mm -hmm. I think that you're getting something so much, you know, we talked about how email, uh, email addresses are extremely mm -hmm. valuable assets. I think the mm -hmm. only thing when it comes to leads, the only thing that is more valuable than an email address is an email address of somebody who's already bought something from you before. <sighs> so true. Yeah. Even if that thing was a small, you know, $10 upgrade on, uh, on, on, on a paid, on a, like a premium lead magnet. 
Um, I, I love that strategy. I think it's a brilliant strategy. I've, I've seen you know, really, really successful creators employ that strategy to build their email list and, and make, make, make far, far, far you know, bigger launches. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan and fully support it. Awesome. Oh my goodness. This is so helpful, Len. Thank you so much for your time. Before we close, is there something that you feel that you want to highlight and mention before we wrap up? And for people who are watching this, we're going live on Restream. There's a link below. You can get started for free, but also there's a link for you to check out um, Podia as well. And there is a free trial. And I committed, I basically subscribed within two days of while I was on the free trial. So definitely check it out. But yeah, Len, back to you. Anything you want to highlight and, and talk about before we wrap? Um, no, I really appreciate you, you, you having me on here. I, I think it's 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 always fun to talk to talk to creators, and and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, folks in your audience uh, have uh, have gotten value from this and, and have learned something. And if you have any, you know, any any questions, always feel free to to reach out our way too. Um, and uh, and and we're we're always happy to help. There's a lot of content on the site, and I'm sure uh, sure Faye can link some of it. But we um, yeah, we're, we 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 love to help creators, and would love to see uh, would love to see what some of y'all build. Awesome. And then, yeah, definitely don't forget to check out Podia on YouTube. There are a lot of great, funky, really well-produced tutorials, but there's also that kind of documentary series for you to watch a creator to go through that process. And you won't be as scared or as intimidated anymore. So we're going to take us offline or end the stream. Um, all right. Bye, guys. Thanks, all. <laughs>